to start by talking about football. And it's always a bit of a risk when I know there's lots of people in the room who are much more knowledgeable than me about this. But I believe um, this week something quite significant happened in the world of Premiership football on Friday. Does anyone know what that was? Akin, do you know? Oh. So that, that momentous occasion of a nil-nil draw. Um, I think, I think there's been a few. Okay, so Maidstone beat Ipswich. That was very momentous. And something else um, that happened in the world of football is that Jurgen Klopp, who is currently the Liverpool manager, announced that he was stepping down after eight and a half years. He did say he's going to go until the summer. But I think that was quite a, you know, a shock and a surprise for um, the team and the fans. And I've been reading a little bit about about this this week because some of you may know that Jurgen Klopp is a Christian. And... um, One of the reasons he gave for stepping down from his role is that he said, I'm running out of energy. And he talked about the relentlessness of competitive sport and the treadmill and the potential um, for burnout. And I've been reading a couple of responses to that and thinking about, you know, how that's relevant, not just to the world of elite sport, but to the world in general. And so just the kind of response that I was reading, a couple of things really jumped out at me. I just wanted to share as we go into our worship this morning. So the first one was that Jürgen Klopp hasn't, you know, he's not always out there talking about his Christian faith, but he uses small opportunities to be countercultural. Um, as a really successful football manager, he could have ploughed on and went for the, you know, gone for the next trophy and the next trophy, but actually... He felt like, this is, my, this is my time. I've got them to a good place. And actually, I need to look after my family. I need to look after, you know, my own mental health. And I don't need to be someone who's grabbing the glory. Um, apparently, in an interview with Gary Lineker, he once said, I'm a Christian, and it's not all about me. So that was the first thing. And the second thing um, is that I just felt that God really designed us for um, rest. And just that reminder that, you know, the pattern is that we work hard and we need to rest. And I know some of you are looking at me going, yeah, you're really good at that, Becky, because I know that I'm not. (laughs) But just really challenge me, you know, that we're all at risk of burnout and we all need to take that time out. So just encourage us as we go into our worship this morning, just to enjoy some space and just remember that Jesus was human. He had limitations. He needed time out. And, you know, whether that is something that you can do this morning or something that you can, you know, proactively look at doing this week just that we can all just recognize our need for Jesus and our need to not just keep doing and doing and doing and doing and the other thing that just I'll just finish with this before I hand over to Wendy and and (laughs) that um he said the reason that you know basically my Christian faith is great because I know that whatever decisions I make I'm in sensationally good hands sensationally good hands so as we worship this morning let's remember that God has, God has got us in his sensationally good hands. I'm going to hand over. Mm. As Becky has um, just sort of said this morning, you know, we do need to wait. We do need to rest. So it's our opportunity this morning to rest upon the Lord. Because he is the everlasting God. He doesn't faint or grow weary. He's the defender of the weak. He comforts those in need. And when necessary, he lifts us up on wings like eagles. Now, some of us may not have had a very good week. Mine's not been too wonderful, I know. Um, 
a bit sort of frustrated in a way. But we're here this morning to bring our weeks to the Lord and to leave them at his feet to be able to worship him, to wait upon him and to see what he's got to say to us today. So we pray for Andy later as he brings God's word to us. Yes, Lord, we thank you that you are the same, that you don't change, that you know whether it's yesterday or today or forever. You're faithful and we can trust in you. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm reading from chapter 16 and I'm reading verses 13 to 19. Where Jesus, sorry, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. So... When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom, Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Amen. So we pray for Endy as he comes to speak to us, that he will bring God's word to us. Thank you, Endy. Amen. That's our king. That's our king. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, there are no words. There are no words. You are wonderful. Holy Spirit, please reveal him in this place. Help me, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. So, today's the final one in in the current series, and we, we deal with that question that Jesus asks Not just to Peter, but I think to each of us. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Let's hope so. Um, I remember growing up as a kid in Sunday school. And maybe, I don't know, maybe for those of you who are um, young at heart, this was also what Sunday school was like for you. Because you were always tested. You always tested, your Bible knowledge was always tested, like, are you in the Bible game or not? Named and shamed. Talk about church being a safe space. It wasn't really that. And um, one, of the things that, one of the things that used to happen in Sunday school was this game, if you could call it a game, called God Has Something to Say. And the way that it worked was um, the leader would sing something like she would say, it was usually a lady leading Sunday school back in those days, and she would say, sing, she was like, God has something to say, 
God has something to say. Listen, listen, pay close attention, for God has something to say. And so, and Bill, you'll have to jump up and give a memory verse right there from Scripture. And none of, none of the easy ones, if you, if you jumped up and said, John 3.16, you, you'll be, mm, no, you had to give us Leviticus. You had to give something, Leviticus, Ezekiel, Deuteronomy, something unique you had to say. And if you didn't deliver, everyone would look at you and you would be officially going to hell. That's kind of was the theme of the game. So you can imagine that you always had to come to Sunday school prepared. Thank goodness that that's not what's happening to our jobs, right? I'm looking at Mike and I'm looking at John. That's, that's not what's happening to jobs. They're okay. They're okay. It's all right. On this particular occasion, uh, we were playing a different game. And my mom and another of the deacons were leading. And this was one where it was like the Bible sword one, where they call out a chapter and verse. And they say, 1 Corinthians 10 2, and you have to look for it. And so they, they hit it, they went for it. And it was me and some other people there. And so they call out the Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 8, 1, go. And your boy being a Bible ninja, I was off, straight into it, into 1 Corinthians. And I, and I sat back and looked all smug at myself. And I looked at my mom and I smiled. I'm like, aren't you proud of your son? Look who you raised. You know, I'm there within seconds. But my mom doesn't look impressed She's, she's giving me this weird look. I'm wondering why. Why are you giving me this weird look? You should be proud. You should be glowing. You know, I was looking at the guy next to me. He's looking for 1 Corinthians in Genesis. He has no chance. I'm looking at the other one. That other one looks shaky and weepy. I'm like, Mom, I'm the man. I've done it. She still doesn't look impressed. And she's giving me like, you know when your mom is giving you an eye, trying to suggest something to you, and you're like, mom, what are you saying? And, but I couldn't get it until coming to the end of the round, and the older lady said, it, said 1 Corinthians 8, 1. And I realized that I just got to 1 Corinthians, and I just chilled. And then Genesis guy beat me. It was not good. It was not good. Why am I giving you the story of my life apart from a bit of therapy? When Jesus asks Peter the question, who do you say I am? Even though Peter answers correctly, Peter doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. He answers, he says, yes, you are the Messiah. You are the son of God. But he has no idea what that means. And, and that is the truth for so many of us that men we receive a revelation of who Jesus is. It's almost like a three-course meal. That is just the starter. When we hear that word that God is good, God is love. Jesus is the prince of peace. When we receive a revelation about who God is, that's just the beginning of the journey. The problem for a lot of us and myself inclusive is that we often stay at that beginning of the journey. And that's why we often talk about that difference between what you know in your head and what we live in our hearts. Because we know in our heads peace, joy, 
hope, salvation, restoration, eternal. We know all that in our life. You guys will be excellent that God has something to say, I'm sure. But the lived experience, which is transformational, that's the main course. If we feast only on starters, we would never get full. We will always feel like something is missing. And if we stay stuck in that place of, oh, this is who Jesus is here, something will always feel missing there. Now, if you're anything like me, you want to jump straight from the starter to the dessert. And most of us, we're like, we, we kind of deal with the journey with God like, you know, children wanting to have ice cream for dinner. Ice cream for breakfast, ice cream for lunch, ice cream for dinner, or maybe cake, maybe cake. But we often just want the dessert. We just want the testimony. We just want to arrive at the finish line. We want God is good, and we want the stuff at the end of God is good, but we don't want the middle bit. But it's the journey, it's the journey that is transformational. Because in the journey, that is where we get to actually know what Jesus being Jesus really looks like, really feels like. And that is where we get transformed. You see, for Peter, it wasn't until he actually lived the experience of Jesus as Messiah. Jesus going to the cross, Jesus dying, Jesus resurrecting, Jesus ascending. It was only at that point that he truly gets it. And his life is completely transformed. And the reality that Peter begins to exist in is completely different from our own. And this is what Jesus does for us. Because the thing is, knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus doesn't mean that, doesn't lead to fruits like, oh, I don't do this, I do that. Oh, I don't go here, I go there. No, knowing Jesus completely changes the reality that we exist in, that sense of what being in Christ looks like. It's like when I got married to Emma, when I met Em, Em completely changed the reality I existed in, in a wonderful way, my love, in a wonderful way. But she completely changed the reality I existed in. I, before Em, existed on a healthy, balanced diet of Snickers and Coke. Snickers and Coke every day. But then suddenly, there was real food, healthy food. It changed who I called family and who I called family before and who I called family now. It wasn't just a change of, oh, here, I used to tick the box that said single, but now I tick the box that says married. It wasn't just, that happened as well. But when you ask me about what is it like being married to M, I don't say, well, now I tick, I don't no longer tick the box that says single, I tick the box that says, I don't say that. I do it, but it's immaterial. And that's the same thing about when we know Christ. It's beyond the stuff of, oh, well, I, I, now I do this uh, and I don't do that. Now, now I believe this and I don't know. It completely transforms our reality. 
who we are at the very core. Who I am at the very core transforms when I become one with M. Who we are at the very core transforms when we become one with Christ. The disciples lived in a completely different reality from our own. I mean, they existed in a space where the blind saw and the dead came back to life and thousands and thousands gave their life to Christ. They existed in places where they fell asleep in the middle of a storm or were chilled out when they were about to be brutally killed the next day. They existed in a completely different reality. That is what knowing Christ is meant to do. That is the whole point that Paul keeps emphasizing in Christ, in Christ, in his reality. That word truth that the scripture uses also translates to that sense of the reality. When the spirit comes, he will lead you into truth. Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Sometimes it is not, we get to that point in our life that's not enough to have an idea of what the truth is or a knowledge of what the truth, about the truth. It is when we know the truth, the fruit of that is the freedom that it's meant to bring. When we know Christ, it is meant to lead to freedom. It is meant to lead to that peace in the midst of the storm, that joy in the midst of chaos, that rest, that deep rest, that deep excitement about who God is. That is the calling to exist in the reality of Jesus Christ. And so that question, who do you say I am? It's an invitation. It's not a question that we just answer on the spot. But it's an invitation from Jesus to begin a journey. And I was thinking about this and, and what came best to my mind from the spirit of how to describe this journey is a story about two boys and their puppy. Now, if you have hosted M, Ash, Joshi, and I, and thank you for those who have, but if you have hosted us post-poppy, what you would no doubt confess is that every conversation with Asha and Joshi turns to Milo. Somehow, it just ends up there. You could be talking about the weather. Oh, you know, the other day, Milo did blah, 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 blah. You could be talking about anything. You could even be talking about politics. Somehow, Milo will get in there. And I'm just like looking at everyone. Else, ah, sorry, sorry. I mean, we went to, we went to the Gans recently. W what were they talking about? Milo, right? Milo, 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 Milo. We, we saw um, Tim and his wife as well a couple of weekends ago. Milo, 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 Milo. We had a pastoral evening with Fran and Paul. Fran, what was the hot topic of conversation? Milo. Just Milo, Milo, Milo. And it got me thinking, this should be us. You know, back in the day, the reason I believe that we have the Gospels is because the disciples could just not stop talking about Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus did this. Jesus said this. Do you remember the time when Jesus went there? Do you remember how Jesus did? Jesus, 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 Jesus. 
over, over again. A life transformed by knowing this person. Oh, it's okay. And I, and I wonder, I wonder. I remember the first time I came to preach and he actually heckled me. It was like, I was like, this is not going well. I'm definitely not going to be invited back. Um, but I, I look at myself and I, and I wonder, I think, it's not quite that way with me, though. There's, there's so many other things that seem more real in my life than when I'm in conversations I talk about. But surely, it should be Christ. But it wasn't always this way for Ash and Joshi. There was a time before Milo came into the house when we were thinking of getting a puppy. The boys were thinking we were trying lots. <laughs> should we do this to ourselves? But during that period, the boys and I, we would look on the internet. We would look on the internet about puppies. We would read up about puppies, about cockapoos. What are they like? You know, are they, do they do this? Do they do that? And we'll read up about all those things. And in those times, for those who would have hosted us before we got Milo, so I think we went to the Fortnams before that. And there was no conversation about puppies really, was there? There wasn't anything. It wasn't really that consuming because it was just something that we read about. We read about it, but it wasn't quite real. We read about it, we had knowledge of it, but it wasn't quite real. And that's how sometimes we can fall into the trap in our journey of faith. We can become so disconnected from the reality of Christ in the scripture and our own reality. It can become something that we read about, we know about, but it's not quite real. We're stuck at the beginning of the journey. Because the moment that we went from that space of cockapoos are quite intelligent. Yeah. Um, the moment that we went from that space to actually let us actually live with a cockapoo and see how intelligent these things are. The moment we transitioned from just reading about it, talking about it, to having a lived experience, it changed. Suddenly, your life is transformed because this furry thing is in the house all the time and the boys are overjoyed and sometimes I want to lock it outside the house but I won't because I'm a good guy <laughs> and, and they would never forgive me <laughs> um, but I think this is the invitation from Jesus let come and let me be a lived experience because it will completely transform our lives to actually know him that is always the invitation to seek to go into the journey so that when we come out on the other side of a journey of God is good no one can steal that away from us it is right there, deep in our hearts. 
what happens for me and what, what happens for the people of Israel so many times and even for the disciples earlier on was they would always eventually get to the testimony because God is good, but they will miss out on the journey, miss out on the main course. And what happens is that the moment we find ourselves in another difficult situation, like the people of Israel, like the disciples, will panic because we never learned the lesson on the journey. We never quite got that lived experience of this is who Christ is that completely transforms the way that we do life so that everywhere we go, we just can't help it. We want to speak about this Jesus who has changed our world. We want, to, we want to tell people about this peace. We want to tell people about this joy. We want to tell people about this rest that we have. This is the invitation that Jesus offers us in the question, who do you say I am? This is the invitation. If you say God is good and he's saying, all right, come and see what goodness looks like. Something so important that the disciples do to get from that place, that starting place, where the calling is, where it's an invitation to get to the finishing point where it's testimony, where they're all consumed and immersed in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is perseverance and humility. It's understanding, first of all, and we've said it before here, is the heart that keeps showing up for God every day. You show up for God every day. In my relationship with Emma, I have to show up for Emma every day. Emma shows up for me every day. We, Paul would put it this way. He says, Consider yourself as those alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourself. It's like when I got the offer letter from Olton Baptist Church, it was like they were saying to me, consider yourself the minister of Olton Baptist Church. Now, this morning, I wasn't in the house thinking, oh, I'm not sure if I'm the minister of Olton Baptist Church. I better not go down to Langley Maybe I should, maybe, maybe I should go to Balaam. Maybe they're still, maybe they're still expecting me. I, I, I just was like, yeah, you said that I am the minister of Alton. I am going to go and minister, do ministering stuff at, at, at Alton. I didn't show up at Shirley. I didn't show up at Shirley and say, hi, I'm running things here. She'd be like, who is this lunatic? No, I came down here. And there's that counsel that, we show up for God every day. You know, the things that God often calls us into are so much bigger than we are. And therefore, we need to constantly lean into him. We need to constantly lean into him to get that full experience of his calling. So the first thing that the disciples did, step by step, day by day, seeking after Jesus. Step by step, day by day. There was a good, there was a good heart to the game 
God has something to say because it made you go to where, to the scriptures, but it didn't quite achieve its purpose. But that sense of going to the places where Christ has said he can be found, that heart that seeks constantly after God. It says that no one can please God without faith, without believing that God exists and that a life spent seeking after him will be rewarded. It's that heart that says, I believe that when I seek him, I will find him. And what I find is what living for. Jesus says that the kingdom of God, the experience of his reality, is like finding a treasure and selling everything to hold on to it. The first step is we persevere, we stick, we constantly seek after God. And perhaps the second step is one that is also very important, humility. Scriptures tell us that God resists the proud. I don't know about you, but that's, that's a scary thought, God resisting the proud, resisting it. I don't want to ever hear God is resisting me. I'm like, God, I'll die, you know. Humility. So many times the disciples would come back to Jesus and they would, they would say something paraphrasing to the end of, Lord, we are not all that we should be, but we are willing to learn. Lord, we are not all that we should be, but we're willing to learn. Whenever they would go out, and this knowing of Jesus was not transforming the reality of their lives in the way that it should, they would not come back and move the goalpost and say, okay, maybe called by Jesus is not meant to look like this. They would not do what I do, what I do with God when things don't work as I sulk. I just sulk. I'm like, God, why didn't you do this? But with humility, they would come back to his presence at his feet and say, Jesus, how come we couldn't enter into that space? We're not all that we should be, but we are willing to learn. I think that the truth, if we are being honest, as God's people, here on earth in this time, as the disciples of Jesus here on earth in this time, as those called to be light to the world, as those called to be salt to the earth, as those called to continue the ministry of Jesus, which was to bring healing to the broken and freedom to the oppressed, as those called to carry the presence of Jesus, which means being safe spaces for people to come into and find rest. If we are honest, as the disciples of Jesus, as the vessels of God today, we are not all that we should be. I am not all that I should be. But it's not a confession that's meant to lead to me just hitting, oh, I'm not all that I should be and hitting myself. But it is a recognition to sit 
at Jesus' feet and ask, Lord, draw me closer to you. Help me to know you deeper in such a way that it completely transforms my life and then transforms the world that I live in. Help me, Lord, to know you deeper. The devil's greatest trick against the church today is to convince us that there are other things in church life that are more important than knowing Jesus. And the church is so distracted at the moment, so distracted, breaking up over all manner of things that are not important. If, if we know Jesus as we should, if we are alive to Jesus as we should be, where we are completely transformed by him, and the world is completely transformed because we know him, if that is the case, then yes, we can start bothering with other stuff. But if we are still at that point, where there is so much more to know, where there is so much more to be thirsty for, where there is so much more to be hungry for, where the person of Christ still isn't as known to us that it transforms the reality that we exist in. If we're still not in the reality where walking on water, whatever that looks like, feels normal. Where seeing God is an everyday experience. If we're still not in that reality, then perhaps with humility, we should go to the feet of our Savior and ask, Lord, we are not all that we should be, but we are willing to learn. May our hearts not be like the heart of God's people of old, where God complains and says, their hearts are too hard. I can't do anything with it. They are too set in their ways. They are too fixed in their ideas. I can't do anything with it. Even when I physically come down to earth to be with them, I can't do anything with it. May God never say that about us. May his spirit make our hearts soft so that the spirit can shape them into the image of our Savior. May we be not be so fixed in our ideas and in our ways that we are unable to sit at the feet of our Savior and learn. A life that knows Jesus, a life that exists in his reality, my goodness, that is a life worth dying for. And you know what? Someone did die to give us that life. Someone did die to give us that life. So let us honor the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Savior by in humility sitting at his feet, persevering so that we may become all that he says we are. Because the world is waiting for us.
Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Let us pray. Jesus, there is nothing that compares to knowing you. This is our desire. Forgive us when anything or anyone else has taken that place in our lives as individuals or in this community of Alton Baptist Church. Forgive us, Lord. We are not all that we should be but we are willing to learn to be transformed and to be made whole so that through your witness in us, the world that comes into our space can be transformed as well. Help us, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Um, before I invite some special people to help us with communion, we're going to spend some time in prayer. This is new for communion. <laughs> I don't think they had those back in the days. No, I don't think. I imagine that this was, this was something that the early church did often together. They gathered together around the Lord's table. And I imagine that as they did, they often told stories about Jesus. They reminded themselves about how he took the bread and how he broke it and how he said, you know, this is my body given for you. How he spoke of his body as the bread of life, and how he said, you know, those who eat of my flesh eat true food, and how they would have laughed about how it wound up the Pharisees when he said that. They would have reminisced about how he said, let all who hunger come to me. And they would have told stories about what Jesus says about his blood, about the new covenant, about forgiveness of sins. They would have remembered that the scriptures say that the life of a person is in the blood. And as we take on the blood of Christ, we take on his life within us. And they would have broken bread as Jesus did. And they would have lifted the cup as Jesus did. And they would have leaned in and said, more of you, Jesus. More of you. Hopefully, my lovely assistant, Fran, handed you a piece of papers you were coming in that has a word there saying, who do you say I am? In this time, just in a short time of prayer, I want you to write something there that describes who do you, what do you want to discover about who Jesus is? Is there an aspect of Jesus' life you don't just want to know in your head, but you want to live in your life? So I just give you a few minutes to, if you've got a pen, 
Just scribble something down there. I'll give you a few minutes to do that. And as you do, let me invite um, the Yobs who are helping us with communion. Can they, can they come forward, please? So as you write those words, let me just pray. If you don't have a pen, hold those words in your heart. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you invite us on the road to join you, to follow you, to come and know who you are. Lord, you know what is written on each paper and you know what is written on each heart. And I ask for us today, this morning, that you would take us on a journey to know you deeper, to know you in a way that our complete lives are transformed by you, that the reality that we exist in is different. Draw us into this journey, we pray in your name. And Lord, we pray for our young people who are coming to help us, who we draw into this most significant practice of communion. And Lord, we pray that as they serve us this morning, that this is prophetic for their lives, that they will grow to be young men and women who carry the message of Jesus Christ wherever they go. And as we see them grow, we will look back to this moment to this time, and we will know that you heard us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.